Welcome to the Transform Your Wealth and Health podcast, where experts in wealth, health, and fitness help transform your life. Here's your host, Andy Arder. He's been a world champion, gold, silver, and bronze medalist, a best-selling author, and TikTok 250,000 follower big hitter. Today's guest is Matt State. Matt, how are we doing? Yeah, hi. Thanks for the intro. Wow, that was pretty. Uh, that was pretty exciting. <laughs> Matt, you've done all these things. I mean, I, I, I might make it exciting, but you did them all. So how exciting was that? Um, yeah, no, it's always interesting because uh, the truth is I still have to do my own washing up and all the rest of it. So, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're, not, you're not doing your own washing up? Oh, God, no, no, no. Surely not. Yeah, I'm afraid so. I'm not at the uh, I'm not at the stage yet where I can where I can outsource things like that. <laughs> okay, I'm sure you've outsourced a few things along the way, but one of the things you couldn't is you've been a champion martial artist, so you couldn't exactly outsource that. So I want you to take us back a little bit, Matt. We always like to try and get a gauge of someone's background and family life and stuff like that, and where they grew up and what made them get into their speciality stuff at the beginning? Yeah, sure. So um, what we, a very brief overview uh, is pretty straightforward. I came from a pretty difficult childhood. There was a fair bit of violence in the home, a lot of unnecessary sort of stuff going on, which wasn't very pleasant. Um, my father committed suicide when, when I was in my teenage years, and my sort of schooling was was pretty unpleasant as well. I, didn't, I left school with no real education. There was a lot of bullying. And, uh, and yeah, it just wasn't a particularly uh, pleasant way to sort of grow up. But uh, throughout that, I sort of saw martial arts and I saw that as kind of a, a way out and a, and, a, and a possible way for me to um, sort of get over my fears and things, if you like. And so and so the, the draw was always there. And then eventually one day I managed to I managed to actually follow that through and take it up. And that leads us all the way to today. Gotcha. So whereabouts was you living that at the time? Uh, well, we were over in South Wales, but uh, we, we sort of bounced around a fair bit when I was younger, which obviously didn't help going to different schools and things like that and always uh, quite often being the new kid. Um, so, yeah, it was one of those where uh, various sort of housing estates and things um, I mean, it could have been an awful lot worse. I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not saying woe is me, but, uh, but it created an environment where I wanted to be able to defend myself, not be afraid all the time, and, um, and that led me to the door of martial arts. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you're trying to defend yourself, and most people don't go to the heights that you did. How did you get into the top end martial arts stuff? How did you find out how good you was? Well, that really was was uh, when my father committed suicide. That was really the sort of uh, pivotal point because I tell people that was both the, the best and the worst thing that ever happened to me, which kind of raised mm. your eyebrows. Um, obviously, it was a, a, a dreadful time and a dreadful experience and something I categorically wished that he hadn't done. However, um, it did it did make me really confront myself and how I was going to live my life. And um, and I really started at that point to get heavily into martial arts because it became my surrogate family, my peer group and all of those other all of those other good things. Um, and, it, and it basically became a home from home, if you like, where I could find that sort of companionship and everything. And then on top of that, it, it turned out that I 
was um, I was I was quite good at it. I had a natural sort of affinity with it, and I'm a physical guy, you know, and so it be, so it was something that came more naturally to me than others, I would say. Yeah, gotcha. So, was it like a, an interest at the beginning that just grew and grew, or did you know quite early on that hey, I'm I'm good at this. I'm just going to take it and run. Well, it was it was years in between first seeing martial arts and actually getting to. Uh, try it out at any level so uh, as a, as a mm. child I sort of I, I saw it on the television and things as people do they get their first exposure and uh, and instantly I was sort of captivated by it and it was something that just held this sort of allure and um, and then when I finally got a chance to start getting involved with it I absolutely immersed myself into it, it became it became literally everything that I did um I'd get up in the morning and I'd train and I'd do all of that sort of stuff. Then I'd go to work and then I'd come back and I'd train more and I'd eat, sleep and drink it. <laughs> that was all I did. Yeah. Which particular form was you doing? You Did you watch Enter the Dragon like me in 1973 or whatever it was? And did, did you want to be Bruce Lee? Of course. I think that was uh, for, <laughs> for anyone of a certain generation. That was almost a rite of passage, if you like, wasn't it? So, yeah, the Bruce Lee era, of course, um, lots of that sort of stuff. And um, and, and there also television shows like Kung Fu, that kind of thing that was on at the time. Yeah. And so uh, Monkey was another one. Big fan of Monkey back in the day when I was young. And so, yeah, those kind of things sort of made me want to want to sort of have a have a go at it. Um because of course the hero always wins, doesn't he? In, in the film yeah. and stuff, and so that's uh, that's that's an attractive proposition right there. Yeah. So what form was you doing? Oh right. So yeah. So I did um, I did a number of different things. I, I I tried a few things in and out before before settling. So uh, I tried some judo for a while. I did some amateur um, boxing for a little bit. I even tried a little bit of ninjutsu once in for five minutes many many years ago when ninjas were all the rage. Um, but then I and then I took up karate, which I which was where I sort of settled for quite some time. And that's if you like my foundation. That's my uh, that's the the art that that gave me the capabilities to then go into all kinds of other things and and, and build on those skills. Yeah. So so tell us a little bit about your your championships and, and how you did at those? Oh, uh, well, I competed for years um, in various guises and then sort of retired, as you do, a bit old and a bit broken. Uh, and then a few years ago, so I'm, uh, for those that don't know, I'm edging towards 50 now. Um, and so a few years ago, I was given the opportunity to go to the Nationals and, and, and watch a friend compete. And I thought, well, if I'm there, I may as well have a go because that's the kind of kind of thing that I do occasionally. So anyway, I had a go and to my horror and delight, I got through to the finals and seeded for the uh, for the England team to go and represent the world. Uh, the world. Wow. So uh, so basically it was a case of I had about three months, give or take, to get myself into shape and and go and do it. And I couldn't, you can't, the thing is, you can't really turn down those kind of opportunities because you'd never really know when you're going to get another one, if you're ever going to get another yeah. one. So, um, so I ran with it, yeah. That's incredibly quick, Matt. Three months to get yourself sort of to the top, basically. Yeah, I mean, again, it's one of those where obviously I, I, I own and run a full-time martial arts gym. So uh, even though I would never class myself as being sort of competition level fit, I haven't been for a long time. I did in that three months. You can, you know, you can claw quite a bit back. So I lost about two and a half stone 
managed to get myself into a decent fighting shape for for long enough to uh, to last. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. So, well, you obviously sound like you're teaching other people. Uh, what speed time time wise do you get people into martial arts to a decent level? It depends on what people want it for. There's there's so many different sort of variants and so many styles and, uh, and and reasons why. So it's hard to say. I mean, if we're talking very basic self-defense, then the physical techniques of that, you can pass those on relatively quickly. If you're talking yeah. about a understanding a style or a system, then that's a, well, to be honest, that's a lifetime study. So, uh, and everything in between, really. So it depends on what you want from it. Yeah, getcha. But I also see you did Krav Maga as well. Is that how you pronounce it, by the way? Mm. Yeah, Krav Maga. Yes, I did Krav and Kapap, which are Israeli military systems. I um, I did those for quite a while, and I started doing those years and years ago when they sort of first came into the into the UK. They weren't that that well recognised back then. Now, obviously, they're a huge behemoth of a marketing machine, and it's um. And they're sort of everywhere. Uh, so they've they've actually done very, very well from a business point of view. Yeah, yeah. Was it the Israeli soldiers that were using that, first of all? Yes. Basically, that's uh, that's where the original Krav Maga came from, was the, the military. However, and this is me being a bit sort of contentious, but I can't help it. Yeah. I do sometimes. Um, the, the thing is with that is that was more an attitude than a system. So... When you look at Krav Maga in its early days, it was it was basically aggression based uh, and focused on young men that were very fit, very active and in a situation where it was life or death. And so so the Krav Maga originally reflected that. Now it's um, there, you know, it's all over the world. There are soccer bums doing it and office workers and and lots of people that just want to do something as a hobby. So they don't need it for those reasons. And so it's been. A lot of it has been watered down. A lot of it has been changed and adapted to suit the requirements of uh, your, your your basically comfortable middle class Western world person. Yeah, so you can actually just defend yourself as opposed to maybe ending someone's life as as those guys might need to. Yeah, well, they, like like with everything in the world, there's good there's good and bad. So there are some absolutely fantastic instructors out there. Not just in Krav Maga and everything, uh, but then there are also some that maybe aren't quite so good, just because it's been so diluted and and sort of watered down over time. So again, like with everything, it's really a case of doing a little bit of due diligence and finding uh, some sort of decent person behind it. But uh, but the system itself, uh, from its base level, was always something that I was drawn to because of the the, the dynamic of it, the aggression of it, the the, the, the just get it done without any frills. I like that element of it very much. Yeah, that's what I sort of thought when I first heard about it. You know, military stuff, like you say, get it done. Got to put people out of action quite quickly. So, yeah, I can understand that. But the other thing is you're not just a martial artist because you've actually been an Amazon best-selling author too. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I take it it was related to the martial arts. Uh, well, one of the books was, yeah, the first book that I wrote was called Modern Samurai, uh, a revealing look at the, at the private security industry. And that was written about my time that I was working on the doors, doing security, working as a bailiff, so on and so forth. So I spent many, many years working in nightclubs and as a bodyguard and training security staff in 
uh, in physical intervention, conflict management, that sort of thing. So I'd, I'd done that for a long time. Lots of people used to ask about it, and there was a lot of misconceptions around it as well. So, um, so I had this sort of urge to write it, and there was several sort of hard man books already out there along the lines of you know how they beat up twenty L's angels, all the rest of it. And I I didn't want to write that. That's not me anyway. Um, so so I set about writing the first book, which. I wrote half of it and then spent about three years telling myself I wasn't good enough and what on earth did I think I was doing writing a book. I left school with no education, you know, so I told myself it was a stupid idea and put it on the shelf. And then a couple of years later came back to it and uh, and actually finished it and put it out. And to my um, again, to my delight and, and, and gratitude, it was it was very well received. It hit number one in its category twice. Um, the reviews were great. And. And lots of people said lots of really kind things about it. So that obviously then prompted me to do more. <laughs> you done more books, I take it, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what things have you been the proudest of then? Because you've done so many different things and you've been successful at all of them. We're going to come to another one in a minute. I don't want to steal my own thunder, but uh, something else you did to a really high level as well. You know what I'm going to say, of course. But what's made you proudest? Oh, I don't know. I mean, the first book, definitely, just because it was – it was such a sort of achievement to sit down and write um, sort of 60 odd thousand words and then to have your peer group and, and the people around you say, you know, say such kind things about it. I mean, that was that was a, a moment in time that that will stay with me because uh, it, because it, it sort of it solidified the belief that actually most things are achievable with enough with enough work and enough effort and enough belief. And so that was that was very much a bit of a life changer because it set me back on a pathway uh, of of writing and creating, which I, which I thoroughly enjoy. So um, so that was definitely one of one of the things. Yeah. yeah well, one of the other things is that you've had a huge following on TikTok. And how did that come about? Well, that started because I saw a YouTube clip with Gary Vaynerchuk. I was uh, yeah, I was wide awake one night, couldn't really sleep, so I was sat there just meandering through YouTube as people do, and stumbled across this Gary Vaynerchuk video where he was talking about TikTok, saying that it was a really interesting place to be and was something that was going to blow up and people should pay attention to it. So I was actually on a, a business podcast the next day. And we sort of got talking about that. And I actually said at that point, you know what, I'm going to uh, I'm going to take a run at this properly. I'm actually going to going to see if I can figure this out. And so that's pretty much what I did. I spent a few months learning it uh, in the same way that somebody would learn how to drive a car or anything else. Uh, so I didn't just jump in. I actually learned it, spent time studying, figured it all out and then started putting some videos up. And I now stand at around two hundred and sixty five thousand, something like that. Wow, <laughs> that's unbelievable, Matt. My daughter has just done the same kind of thing. So this this last week or two, she's been um, trying to get some bigger views and stuff like that. And she's managed to get one this week with 600,000 views. So she's trying to do the same kind of stuff you did. But um, I think she's a little bit behind you at the moment. But yeah. that's incredible. That's a that's a pretty good number, though. Fair play. So um, yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. It's definitely a good start. I mean, she's only done a few. Um, so yeah, I'm proud of her for doing that. But how did you get two hundred and sixty-five thousand followers? Because that's massive. Well, 
I, I would have more if it was just vanity figures. So, yeah. um, I mean, long story short, I actually have a company now that uh, where I where I train businesses and individuals how to how to grow on TikTok and use it for business and monetize it. So, right, tell us about that. Um, well, basically, that's come off the back of of my own successes and my own learning curve. Uh, so, I found that a lot of people didn't really understand how to use TikTok correctly. A lot of people misunderstand what TikTok is and what it's capable of. And a lot of people were uh, wasting energy on it, to put it mildly. So they were they were doing well and getting good views, but then they weren't actually managing to monetize that or or use that as a funnel to, to draw people into some of their other things. So there's all these different elements and ways that that can be done. So essentially, uh, there was a there was an opening there, if you like, for somebody like myself to come into that because there were are, there are experts around and out there. So you have, if you like, 15, 16 year old kids that are good at dancing and lip syncing and all those other things with huge followings. But they've got those followings because, well, because they're cool, let's be honest. And, you know, a middle aged fat guy can't replicate those numbers because they're there <laughs> because they're cool. Right. And then you had the other end of the coin, which was your traditional sort of marketeer type people. And I'm not dissing those at all for any at any point. But these guys didn't don't understand the, the platform TikTok. And, and so what they're what they're sort of pushing with regards to what should be done doesn't necessarily work on that platform because Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, they all have different rules in how they work. And so it needs to be TikTok specific. So basically you had either end of the spectrum there, but there wasn't really anyone that could honestly sit there and say, you know, I am a, a middle-aged guy that's slightly overweight. I'm not particularly cool. I'm not I'm not really that interesting um, apart from with what I do, but I can go onto that platform. I can show what I do in a way that engages with people and grow an audience. And so, you know, yeah. build my business through it. So that's, that's essentially what I've done. So how do you do that then, Matt? Tell us a little bit about it because, um, I mean, like you say, it's generally seen as a platform for youngsters and, um, you know, at your age, you're not the type of people that they normally look at. So how did you do it? Well, I think the first thing is to say that that's a misconception that it is predominantly for youngsters is actually getting more yeah. mature as we go along. So if you actually look at the numbers, quite a large percentage now are, between sort of 16 and 54. So um, there's a, it's, it's not what people think it is anymore in that respect. And also the educational side of it and the grown up side of it is actually being pushed by the platform itself because they understand they have to mature or die. So if we look at something like Snapchat as an example, that, that will forever remain what it is because it's not morphing into anything else. Um, and so, TikTok is actively looking to do that. So that's that's really encouraging from our point of view, because what it means is that you, I, or anybody else for that matter, as long as you have something interesting to say and can transmit it in the right way on the platform, then you should be able to gather a community and a following. And that's really all that is. I just I just help people to put their content together in a way that makes sense and then present it in a way to the platform where they will help to share it out and get it to the right people. That's brilliant. So obviously you've inspired a lot of people, but who's been inspiring you? 
Oh, uh, that's an interesting question. I mean, there are lots of there are lots of the usual sort of suspects that people sort of say, you know, the really big sort of the big names and and things like that. Apart from Bruce Lee. <laughs> yeah, quite. Um, and there's that sort of thing. But to be honest with you, at the moment, what's what's really inspiring me under current conditions is a lot of the grassroots instructors, a lot of the small guys that are teaching to small clubs that don't really make any money. And they are just working under such incredibly difficult conditions at the moment to try and keep their clubs going, to try and keep training and to try and keep moving forward. The guidance is terrible. The There's no real sort of communications and, and uh, with regards to what we can and can't do. And so, yeah, at the moment, if, if I had to hold my hat up to anybody, it would it would be anybody that's struggling within that kind of small business outfit that is working really hard to keep it going because it's such a difficult time right now for people. Yeah, fair play to them. Yeah, like you say, uh, one of my neighbours does exactly that. So uh, I don't know what his situation is at the minute. I, I take it he's not doing it. But um, yeah, yeah, it's not easy, is it? Definitely not. No, no, that's right. And it's one of those where... The thing is, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're in lots of ways, we're in great position because, well, I speak for myself, you know, I have, I have people that care for me. I have a roof over my head, food on my table, and there's, you know, there's money in my bank account. So, you know, I'm very, very lucky in that respect. And, and, I, and I don't want to dismiss anybody else. But the thing is, no. there is, you know, there, there is, there is obviously a wider implications and a bigger picture, isn't there? Yes, of course, yeah. Yep, Sammy, you've done a lot, Matt, as we were just saying, you're on three different areas there. You've been really successful, but is there anything you've changed along the way? Um, it's interesting, that, isn't it? Because I think the, the, the things that happen to you in life, good or bad, are the things that sort of shape you. So um, I wouldn't be who I am and what I am if things have been any different. And so even though some of it may have been challenging and difficult, and obviously losing my father was something that, you know, I, I wish didn't happen. But for the most part, um, I, I, you know, the hardships, whatever, I think they, they've they've led me to this point and, 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 and allowed me to have the mindset where I can, you know, go out and sort of get things done, if you like. Yeah. Okay. Anything particular you might change from the journey, though? Um, I tell you what. I said I was having a conversation the other day where we were talking about training, and I think I I, I would have liked to have done more. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think um, when I in in the early nineties, when sort of the UFC came to the fore, you had obviously the Gracies and BJJ and all that sort of thing. And that started coming in and the competitive side of that started coming in. But it took about 10 years before BJJ really sort of got into the UK properly. And it was something that um, that I would have liked to have done more of and started a lot younger. Because, um, to be honest with you, when you're when you're when you're the wrong side of 40, that stuff starts getting really difficult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, timing wise there, that's unfortunate, isn't it? But yeah, that would have been a good one for you to get in. I take it you was interested in it. But like you say, well, wrong side of 40 doesn't help, does it? No, that's right. No, I've played with it. And I, you know, I, I, I enjoy that side of martial arts and I enjoy, um, you know, catch wrestling, BJJ, all that side of thing. But the truth is, BJJ is an art. I mean, it really is an art and it's a science and, and it takes a lot of dedication to really get to any kind of level with it. 
and it's a dedication that I uh, unfortunately you know didn't have the time to commit to it so that would be a regret I mean if I was 20 I would absolutely definitely spend a large portion of my time trying to get a grip of it Getcha. Would you um, go off out to America and try and do well over there, or how far would you push it? Do you think? Uh, well, it's it's one of those where sort of never say never. I mean, I'm not uh, over the hill just yet. I like to think, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I've trained. Excuse me. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I've trained in in various countries and thoroughly enjoy that. Um, and it's something that I would like to sort of expand on going forward. I do I do teach on most of the big stages in the uk so i would uh, i would like to take that further yeah gotcha. yeah what is next for the future for you well i've got uh, more books on the go uh, there's a couple of those that hopefully i'll have finished soon there's a, a wonderful website that i'm just finishing putting together now which is called the martial arts market which is going to be an interesting concept with regards to uh, it's hopefully going to be a hub and a a central point for all sorts of martial arts and all kinds of products and uh, and information and a library of content and all kinds of stuff like that. So working on that right now, I've got uh, IT guys on the back end of that trying to put all that together. So really excited about how that's going to turn out. Yeah, the interesting times. Technology is going to be prevalent in time to come, even in things like martial arts. I'm sure you know it'll play a part. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, we're doing all that now. I mean, I. Uh, the last book that I wrote with Kai Morgan was about online martial arts and it's called Evolution or Extinction with regards to how uh, the way we are now is going to affect martial arts moving forward. And I have several online courses, which I've had out for a number of years. So we are leaning more towards that, especially under current conditions, because we're not having the ability to be in a physical space as much as we did. Yeah, yeah. Matt, it's been absolutely fantastic. We're getting to the end of the show now, so I wonder if you'd mind telling people where they can get hold of you and find out more about you and your books and and uh, where you're training people as well. I mean, if they're local, they can no doubt come down once we start up again and, and train with you guys. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, the all the obvious channels, so Facebook and that sort of thing, so you can either put uh, Matt Staitin, which is S-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on sort of LinkedIn, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. Or you can look for Modern Samurai, which is the name of my gym and the name of my TikTok channel and YouTube, all that sort of thing. So either of those will lead you to my door. Okay, Matt. Listen, thanks very much for doing the show. It's been an absolute pleasure and another world champion we've had on. So thanks for doing the show, mate. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I hope this podcast gives you inspiration and if you want to contact me, I'm Andy Arter and it's transformyourwealthandhealth at gmail.com.